Good morning. This is Hacker Mike on the Stream of Random podcast. And it is Friday the 14th in the humid, rained on central New Jersey area. Yesterday, our podcast was total failure, interrupted by rain, and I lost her. A recording somehow so that doesn't happen to me often but I'm really upset so anyway so let's just start with um, <clears throat> how we're feeling today how are we feeling how are you feeling how am I feeling well you can't tell me yet how you're feeling because I'm just recording and walking on my own but I do have a new voicemail number for you to call in and tell me how you feeling. And let me just pull that up. It's 609-429-4144. So we got a 42. Nine. And then. 41. And a 44. So that's pretty good. That's lots of fours. Lots of 40s. What are the chances of that? So, yeah, I was having this Twitter interaction yesterday, and I felt really stupid, so I wanted to share that with you. Well, the guy wrote that he installed all these Windows tools on Linux, and he's kind of like, they're not supposed to be there. And I wrote back to him, I said, well, I installed all these free software tools on every platform, implying Linux, but also other platforms. And they're not supposed to be there, and I don't have to ask permission. And then he got all upset about that because he didn't have to ask permission either. So I kind of put my foot in my mouth I should have said, hey, I don't have to accept any end-user license agreements or all this other nonsense from Microsoft. But um, I guess the times have changed. And also uh, preaching on about free software like that, not going to make people happy. But um, I do want to talk about how I feel in my experience with using free software uh, <clears throat> in hostile environments and um, how it is an agent of freedom as opposed to software that you cannot and is not meant to be ported. So, and I guess I mean the GNU toolchain, but uh, Basically, the beautiful thing about the GNU project, um, which is the whole set of tools that we enjoy on Linux, but also other platforms, um, it's what you normally think about when you think about Linux. Linux being the kernel and the GNU stuff being the user land. Of course, there's alternatives now. Um, but what I really want to talk about is the um, bootstrapping. So how do you get your tool chain onto, into a hostile environment? Let's say you don't even have root permissions. Let's say you're working at some large corporation and you want to run Emacs or whatever program and they don't provide you with a compiler, right? They just give you this user account in some Unix machine, some Linux machine or some Unix machine. So the wonderful thing 
is that, okay, well, let's say you have a compiler available to you of some kind. Then you can compile the GCC compiler and the bin utils, and then you can use that to compile everything else in user space without root permissions, and you can install everything locally. So that's option one, which is use an existing compiler. Now option two is use existing binaries, but install them in user space. So the situation I was in once was I had an old Red Hat based system, but no root access to install anything. So another option is, is that you can unpack, you can download RPM files and you can um, You can download the RPM files, and then you can um, unpack them without root privileges, and then put them into a user space. And then you can, there's a user space change root, um, I think it's UPS root which will allow you to redirect all the paths um, in your uh, rewrite all the paths into that new space so that it pretends that it's running as root but it's not there's other tools like fake root and so forth so that's really interesting now on my mobile phone I have Termux which is a bunch of GNU packages that are ported to the LLVM compiler, but they provide binaries um, for Android, and it installs the compiler and it compiles native binaries. So you don't have to write your apps for Android in Java or Dalek. You can also write them in C or Python and run them in Termux. And I'm sure that you could uh, create standalone binaries for Termux as well. Um, so those are the types of uh, freedoms that I enjoy, you know, and what I really wanted to say to the guy, and I'm sorry that I botched that up so much, but, you know, I enjoy um, using Emacs and has really been something that I can take with me everywhere I go and has been with me for over 20 years you know in the mid 90s I started to learn it and um, or late 90s and uh, basically I haven't had to uh, worry about my editor since then like every place that I've worked everywhere I've gone I've been able to either compile or download or somehow get installed the Emacs editor without getting into much trouble and that's another thing that we always get in discussion with um, you know a lot of people think all the time like well, in businesses, they have a hard time wrapping their heads around, you know, being license-free, right? So every developer has to have some kind of license fee. Well, now they're bringing that back, of course, because there are license fees for things, for services, per seat licenses, for things that you use. There's costs associated with everything, of course. But in the end... Um, my goal is always to be self-sufficient, open source based, and license free. Um, let's see if someone took my cup that I left here. Yeah. Whew. All right. Well, anyway. 
So, uh, yeah, let's talk about some other things that are happening in the world. I don't want this to turn into a news show, but, uh, hey. Um, yeah, it looks like my, my cup is actually missing. I left a coffee cup here collecting um, elderberries the other day. And it looks like someone might have taken it. But I've taken much nicer cups that people have left somewhere, so... Maybe it is that nice cup. I don't know. So let's switch topics now, guys. Um, yeah, Twitter is now offering to uh, protect your tweets and say who can... Um, you can block people from responding to your tweets. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. And... Um, What do you think about that? You know, is that going to create more uh, more bubbles, more closed um, groups of people, or is just Twitter a hate machine, and they have to give people some form of protection? The internet hate machine. There seems to be a lot of uh, disconnect or I don't know alienation, disassociation happening in the um, in the internet, and I guess I'm also a victim of that, where I have a hard time understanding the perspective of other people or I just don't know where they're coming from um, but more importantly I guess I might step on people with my assumptions which is what I have to um, work on Right. Well, I'm kind of at a lull here. Look at that fly. We got these lantern flies. Um, let me take a picture of that. These lantern flies are an invasive species, and they have a characteristic red and black. Like kind of like a ladybug pattern, but a reverse. It's red with black dots. I guess that's ladybug on their back. And then they're like this big brown moth with red and black. And they're fast and they're pretty uh, aggressive, I'm told. And they've taken over uh, the state of New Jersey. So we're supposed to report them and kill them if we see them. So, uh... Did you guys hear about anything about that? Watch out for lantern flies in your area. Invasive species. I guess things are easier to um, invade nowadays with all this global trade. All you need is a bunch of lanternfly larvae and some ship coming from somewhere or going somewhere to transport the eggs. Or some infestation. So now with the uh, globally interconnected places, it's easier to uh, transport illnesses or bugs or anything. I just hop along. Yep. I just woke up, kids, and uh, just drinking my first coffee, going for my walk in the morning. It's already too late. 
sun is already up, but uh, I stayed up late with my son playing uh, games. We're working on this Minecraft level, and um, he's like, yesterday he said, Minecraft is boring. I'm going to go play Fortnite. And then he's like, Fortnite is boring. I want to play Modern Warfare. Warzone. So we installed that, and we were playing that a little bit. They upgraded the new season. They've got this train going through the city of Verdansk. Some theoretical city in Russia. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty good game. But Minecraft is also a pretty good game. And, uh, the thing about Minecraft is it's very relaxing. And, um, you can do a lot with simple tools. And I was thinking kind of like, oh, it's object orientation. object-oriented game in Java but um, so what I like about Minecraft well first of all the first rule of Minecraft is that you can tunnel in any one direction as long as you can keep tunneling you're gonna reach some ravine or some cavern because the way the map is set up you don't have endless blocks of nothing. Um, you're going to reach some cavern. So generally I'll follow a cavern to the end. And then I'll just tunnel in some direction. And then I'll find the next cavern. And they're all interconnected. And I have this humongous... We have built this humongous uh, tunnel network under the ground. And it's pretty cool. I guess we should put signs up, start putting signs up or leaving markers as to where things are. <clears throat> or at least put some, um, put some uh, breadcrumbs so you know, okay, I've, well, I use torches. Boy, I bet you guys are scratching your heads. You're like, what the hell is this podcast about? What is Mike on about? Well, today we're just talking about feelings and things that we do for fun and other random things. I saw this tweet this morning. It said, uh, status updates. And it was like, love, life. And then, after some point, it was just cancer, cancer, cancer. It was taking over all status updates. And I was thinking, yeah, if you get sick or in pain, nothing is important anymore except that. So enjoy your days with no pain and no sickness. So that's why I'm going on my walks and doing my exercise so I can at least <clears throat> make my body stronger and more healthy um, to help fight off whatever may be coming, but also my back and my body. If you have overweight, it's bad on your back as well. If you have too much weight, too much fat. And, um, I haven't actually been losing weight, so it's not weight. Um, maybe I've lost 10 pounds now recently with all this exercise. Um, but I feel like my love handles are shrinking. I mean, I actually can feel that they're going down. And, um, Definitely my body fat is converting into something else besides fat or it's moving to different places or turning to muscle or whatever So Something's happening on my body from all this uh, walking Now it definitely started when I was doing exercise um, But I would only do I mean, I guess I would do the same amount a day 
I am getting more exercise though now since COVID because I have less travel time. So that's clearly an hour in the morning. Okay, so let's talk about some podcasts I listened to yesterday. One of the most interesting ones was um, books and new rel- new books and religion, I think. And it was talking about a guy who wrote a book called The Flip. And it was about people having um, having experiences that were not in the normal world. And, um, you know, like extrasensory perception or, you know, stuff like that. Seeing, seeing something out of body experiences, you know, all those things. And, um, he went in and interviewed all these different people. And he was talking about how science came up with all these terms like paranormal and ESP and all that. It's all from science from different, um, boy, there's some huge mosquitoes here. It's all from, um, Harvard, Duke, and I guess Stanford, another university. There's like three universities he named where all this research is coming from. And they were talking about people like this lady she was hit by lightning. She had a near-death experience, and she started to have uh, precognition. And um, she was a sec- she wasn't a secular Jew, but she was a modern Jew. And uh, she would go to her uh, her rabbi, and he didn't know what to deal with it. It didn't fit into his worldview. So she went to the Orthodox rabbi, and they know all about it with the Kabbalah. And he was talking about how the Hasidic Jews study the Kabbalah and they're all into uh, magical stuff. But uh, the lady, she rejected the Orthodox previously because they were too Orthodox. Meaning they were, they didn't share her views on marriage and sex and all that. But they did preserve the old teachings about magic so that they were able to relate to her. And I thought that was very interesting. And they were talking about um, how science, if it can't explain anything, it just takes it off the table. And it's like, we can explain everything on the table, but everything we took off the table, we can't explain. And I guess it also comes down to the whole idea of UFOs and all that, unidentified things, um, unknown things, that there are such things in the world. Uh, and he took a scientific viewpoint on that and uh, that was really nice he came up with some theories so uh, that was actually a great book and then there was another book I listened to on open source software so this was a scientific And the great quotes from the lady, she was like, oh yeah, well, everyone in the open source world said, do you have to become a contributor to really understand it? She's like, you don't, you undervalue the value of research. She's like, I'm a researcher, I'm just researching this, and I don't need to um, be a contributor to understand it. But she was saying how all of these open forums where people can actually discuss things um, were great for her research. And then she was saying how uh, a lot of people are not getting paid, that open source has contributed trillions of dollars to the economy, but the developers aren't getting that much. Um, But on the flip side of it, it's like, it has contributed to the economy. a couple of these programs have contributed greatly to the economy. And um, companies like Microsoft wish they had that 
she talked about the letter to the hobbyist and how my, my, Bill Gates talked about like how all these hobbyists were stealing his code and now he bought GitHub. So there's some real irony there. It's, it's very interesting uh, to listen to. Yeah, new book, new, let me get that name for you. Or I'll put them in the show notes eventually. I still owe you some from yesterday. Um, now I saw, I listened to the No Agenda show yesterday. That was pretty crazy. <clears throat> and uh, Free Talk Live. I think Conan from Free Talk Live is actually espousing No Agenda theories. And the other hosts were like, where's the proof? Where'd you get this from? So yeah, guys, things ain't easy. Just because it sounds good to you doesn't make it true. Um, you know, someone comes up with a crackpot theory about stuff. It's an interesting model to look at, but it doesn't make it true. And, um, I think these things should be prefixed with, there's some interesting theories from people that I enjoy listening to who say this instead of that is true. We got a full house here on the sidewalk. So, um, there are the headlines on um, Free Talk Live episode I'm going to listen to next. They're talking about uh, national mask mandate. So, I'm going to go listen to that. And, um, <clears throat> do some more of my morning uh, walk and come back to you guys for some more episodes on more of this episode so uh, take care and uh, we'll see you in after the break all right well back from the break now it's time for some more drivel from me. So I'm not going to apologize for being the stream of random because that's what you're listening to. That's what you signed up for. And you can turn it off anytime you want. And um, yes, we are working towards becoming more structured. We, as in our team meaning me and my ragtag band of contributors. We have some people who might want to join the show. And it's just a question of time and timing. Setting up the um, coordinating, setting up and coordinating and managing a live recording is much more stressful than recording uh, on my morning walk because I'm going to go for my walk anyway. And I'm going to listen to my podcast anyway. So in terms of podcast review, I listened to another podcast yesterday, which was on the clinical trials. And they were talking about professional uh, clinical trials and uh, <clears throat> people who were professional clinical trial takers who actually risk death. And some people do die testing new medicines. Um, for a couple thousand bucks, they might get $10,000 if they get like a spinal tap and some crazy stuff like that. And they're talking about how it's, um, a lot of minorities, a lot of people who really need the money or people who need supplemental income who risk their lives to try out new drugs. And they go to these places where they, uh, live for a couple of weeks and they're monitored and they either get the placebo or they get the real drug. A lot of these are for the first time and they do them all at the same time so there's no cross contamination or whatever of information 
you know, people like saying, oh, I heard these other, this other group got sick, so I'm just going to claim that I'm sick. In any case, <clears throat> interesting study, and this is the New Books Network. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to go searching on my phone during the podcast because it just distracts from our quality stream of random here. Um, <clears throat> wow. person pulling up to the church, the Catholic Church has rosaries on their license plate. That's pretty funny. So that's another uh, little bit of random. Now, I listened to that mask, national mask ban, national mask mandate, and they were just talking about how Joe Biden was talking about uh, the mask mandate mm, as legislation. But that's a long way off, and I think some of this is just... mm, we're We're going to have to wait until after the election before we really, um, before we really, uh, understand what's happening with the, um, the COVID, because, I mean, let's put it this way, it's not over, politicians are not over, uh, using something for fear-mongering or whatever, and obviously this is a global thing, um, it's not just America. Uh, in that respect, I think it's more of an Agenda 21 being implemented than anything else. But, uh, you know, I'm not a, a scientist. I'm not actually researching into this. I'm going to tell you about what I know about and what I feel about. So <clears throat> let's talk about some DevOps stuff and Ansible, Docker, and all Kubernetes, what I'm learning. So... And I feel sorry to anyone who uh, actually listens to this podcast because they might be interested in one topic and they're just getting hit with all these other topics or they're interested in none of them, but hey, what am I going to do? This is the situation I'm in. I'm sharing with you what I have and we're going to stop talking about that. I feel like talking about the podcast is a form of advertising, so let's not advertise. So, <clears throat> so here's what I worked on in Ansible yesterday. So I have this thing called a permutation generator, and I had to revisit it and patch it. So here's the algorithm, now that it's fresh in my mind. <clears throat> and this is for you, Mr. A.H. So the first step is that you define an ordered set of keys Um, and that's depending on how you want to set up your dynamic hosts and how many different factors influence the creation of dynamic hosts and a dynamic host is any target for any piece of your system where you want to do infrastructure as code so first you got to wrap your head around that so if you have a million different hosts and you could say, well, we have hosts for Q&A. That's like one-third of them. And we have hosts for production. And that's like two-thirds of them, whatever, right? And you split them up like that. And then you're like, we have hosts for different departments. Okay, so department is a key, right? We have hosts for security in departments, okay? We have hosts for build infrastructure, okay? And these might not even be hosts... These are just pieces of infrastructure that you're going to target, meaning um, you're going to execute commands for. Now, so this gets into, um, is a user a host, right? And a user group. And I've been struggling with that idea. So... Maybe you could even define individual users as targets, right? Or individual um, active directory groups as targets, right? Um, And store your membership that way and say, well, 
a user is a host inside of the uh, is a member or a child of a um, Active Directory group so you could store the stuff that way I mean that's theoretically possible thanks um, that's theoretically possible I love it when cars make a big beeline around me uh, when I'm walking down the street especially if there's no sidewalk so I always say thanks to them you know it's hard to uh, communicate with someone in a car they're in a bubble and uh, really um, you feel like they're so distant even if you're driving up to a car and they're just one car over you're still in your car bubble so you feel like they're so separate and that's the alienation I was talking about the bubbleism so the disassociation I guess you could call it you're not associated with them you're not connected with them um, that's our modern society but we really are all connected somehow okay so back to uh, users and groups so I would say that active directory groups or LDAP groups could be considered some kind of group in um, some kind of uh, target in your uh, system but I would like to consider that separately so that's a whole nother system of um, that's a whole nother system of uh, organization because ideally you would build up your active directory groups from a factor system so <clears throat> I'd like to say that um, we're gonna leave that out for now but in theory you could create a inventory with all the hosts that belong to a group right you could use your Active Directory group system as a uh, dynamic inventory or as an inventory, and then you could target an Active Directory group or a parent group, and it's very similar to the um, it's very similar to the Ansible system. And I really think that this entire um, Ansible system, I mean, once it gets large it's horribly slow so I think that this dynamic inventory part should be taken out of Ansible and made into like a memory-based server of some kind something that's really fast and in memory okay but I digress so basically you have these factors um, now this is my algorithm my dynamic inventory generator based on permutations so first of all, I have a list of keys or a list of um, attributes that I want to permute over, okay? But they're in order because in the end, if you want to construct a host name, you want to have it in a certain order. You want to so, say like environment name first or application name first or let's say department name first. So first you would say like department is billing, application is calculation environment is QA right the role of the server is the security server right but then you could add an extra factor saying like if there's some kind of relationship um, you might have a um, A set of hosts that are using a shared database so this is where we get into um, the weakness of the permutation model but also an interesting part where you could say um, it's not a full permutation it's a partial permutation um, but you would add in the factor of uh, like database uh, host right so you could say you could iterate over all the database hosts 
and expand on them, but you're only going to use a couple of them. So I don't know. That's probably a very bad idea. So we're going to, if they're not a full, if it's not a fully connected relationship, you don't, really don't want to add that in. You could, we'll have to talk about that another time. Um, <clears throat> so once you define your keys in the order that, that you want to like traverse them, right? Then basically the algorithm is like saying, well, first we're going to expand those keys out in a permutation. So we're going to make a permutation of all the keys and we're going to create a tree structure that says, hey, I've got like environment and then application or I have application and then environment or I just have application, right? So you've got this tree structure of all the relationships between all the other relationships. Um, now you can prune that tree structure and just say, I only want to have them in a certain order. And that's what we're doing later where we're, um, <clears throat> we're only looking at things in a certain order. But then the next thing is, is that I'm loading in the, the different values. So what environment, what's the list of environments that we have, right? What's the list of um, applications that we have? So then, um, so for each level of the tree, we'll then, um, iterate over those possibilities and and say, okay, well, the first level of the tree is environment. Okay, so we're going to go for each of the environments and then um, we're going to recurse down into it and say, okay, so the environment is QA now for each of the applications. And that will recursively build out a tree structure. I might be doing it a little bit different, but that's the general idea. And then, um, <clears throat> in order to make this actually work, you have to limit what hosts that you want to return to Ansible. So if you pick a host that you want, or some group that you want, let's say you say, I want to target the environment QA. Well then, you have to uh, return everything that's underneath the environment QA. But if you say I'm targeting, you know, the billing app or the billings department's app in QA for the calculation, then you need to include all the parents of that because in the, in the lattice, um, you have multiple parents groups for all of those things. So you have the QA parent, you have the billing app parent, and you have the, um, the calculation app and the billing department parent. So you have th three different parents, let's say, that will inherit data in, because in Ansible, you could set up a group var for QA, you could set up a group var for, for the billing department, and those are factors that will be mixed in. And um, that's in a tree structure. Whew. Well, I hope you're enjoying this talk, guys, because I'm just getting lost. And it's kind of hard to um, serialize this in a voice. I mean, a, a picture would be much better, like a presentation. I really should do a presentation. But I think I'm going to um, actually make a standalone program for this and a modeling system. Um, a modeling system for data modeling and um, I guess it's kind of like a decision tree type system you could say for machine learning or knowledge engineering
if you take an existing list of hosts and you try and create a decision tree from them to model them, the major decision branches would be your, your factors. And I guess you could take a decision tree and use that to generate your hosts. So, um, but basically, we're going to want to uh, to factor this out into its own program. And ideally, it would be super fast. And uh, the Ansible system would just get you'd be able to iterate over one host at a time and generate all of the variables that are needed for it so you wouldn't have to give it any groups I mean this is just getting into how Ansible handles the groups so you have your group bars um, and you attach those to the different parts of the tree and those then are merged in and uh, <clears throat> You want to be able to select just one subset of them and then iterate over all of the attributes that are available to you. Um, and I guess it could be some kind of loop. So you have an iterator and you keep some context. And then for each item that you match, you want to um, do something. And ideally, you would use that plus, I mean, let's talk about ideal situation. Ideally, you'd have a cloud trail that would monitor your infrastructure, right? Like you have log files coming in from your cloud that tell you what changes have been made, right? Or your system. You have some log file that tells you what has been done, and then you would build up your state, like the, the dreaded... Uh, Terraform state, you would build up your state file from those logs. So you would actually, instead of querying the system, you would actually just read the logs. Um, and you would also log what you've done. You would log your actions because the CloudTrail logs are actually lagging. So for the long history, you've got the logs. You compile some kind of state from the, those logs. Yeah, and I think this would be an interesting, um, an interesting tool. So we're talking about a generator type model. Um, and then a, uh, A matcher that would match those real entities against those generated models and look for discrepancies. In any case, uh, the Ansible system is way too slow for dealing with large models and large uh... boy this tree is still blocking the water and it's collecting all this junk. Got Gatorade, some kind of bag, fishing supplies, cans and bottles. Yeah, I need to, um, I have my fingerprint scanned, but uh, I have my right hand scanned. I have to figure out how to add in my left hand on my phone for unlocking. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think, um, sure, you can query your state from, 
you can query your state with Ansible, with AWS and Ansible. You can say, like, describe the hosts. But what you really want to do is you want to reconcile um, current hosts versus logs versus model. And then that's where the group virus comes in. So if you have some model um, for generating your, your root structure, then you want some kind of leaves of the tree, which would point at, allow you to transform it, each part, to map onto something else. So <clears throat> I'm thinking of a Galois transformation, but basically um, for every node that you generate, you for every uh, point in your lattice, you could make a filter to have that be skewed in some way, or just override some variable to, to accommodate for whatever some user's done. So you might have a partial match. You might say, well, the values are expected up to here, but this value here is not, right? This value here is not. So, um, we could have some kind of fuzzy matching. Yeah, and I think this could be applied to some kind of uh, neural network model. Anyway, I'm really going too deep onto this, but that's just kind of how I think. Um, but I like the idea I like the idea of describing things as factors and generators. And um, I guess we're talking about domain modeling or primary, like principal components, I guess. What are the principal components? Um, maybe that's what that is. I'm not sure. But uh, I think this could also be applied for some other um, some other things. I'm going to try it with my introspector stuff and start by creating this permutation model for the um, so the. So this is kind of where we get into uh, knowledge engineering, web ontology language, and so forth, okay? <clears throat> if we have partial relationships, not full relationships, right? Let's say we have a full relationship or un like a, an um, unbound join in SQL, you could say, where you say, okay, select star from environments, select star from departments. That's a Cartesian join. So you've got Cartesian joins between these attributes, so to say. Now you want to limit them in some ways um, into a tree-like structure. So it's not a full X by X, but this is where the permutations and combinations come in. Right? You only want to take them from one side or the other. So you're going to have some limits on that full Cartesian. Um, I need to define my terms better here. But then you've got partial connections and um, attribute relationships, let's say, 
what database is it connected to? Is this database a shared database or an individual database? So let's just take that one. If it's a shared database and we have one big database that holds like five of the apps and three of the apps have the individual databases, right? So we could have a, uh, a role of database server that's attached to the app or some attribute. So that would just go into the group bar of what database server. But what if we have to build those servers? Okay. Well, do we want to build them? But what if we have to target them? So this is kind of getting into one of the weaknesses of the current uh, generator system. So if you're trying to describe existing reality, and let's say you're trying to model the fact that we only have four database servers, but 15 apps, and some of them map onto some of them. And let's say I want to do an operation on all the database apps, all the database servers. So I want to get a list of servers. Um, now I could basically I could say um, iterate over all of the uh, apps get the database server name and then compress that list into a list of servers and then make a reverse relationship. So this is the server to the app relationship. Um, and then um, create a uh, create a group called uh, you know database servers. That's a virtual group. It's not generated. It's it's a calculated group based upon that transformation based on real values. So that sounds pretty good. So that sounds like something we could put into um, into place. All right. So I think uh, the configuration management part of Ansible should be uh, basically ripped out and reworked and made faster because it's dreadfully slow. And then, um, you know, the actual task, when you target an Ansible uh, task, and let's say you're calling a Lambda function or a function as a service, Right, that executes it. You're just going to give it a list of um, of things to do, and really, okay, yes, Ansible will go and check every single thing, and then, based upon those checks, do something with an if or like, you know, a state, and it'll check the state individually. But that could also get cumbersome for a huge inventory. So you get back to the Terraform state file. Right. So really, we want the system, this configuration management system, to just come up with the changes needed. Be like, okay, I looked at these logs. Um, I looked at these. So, yeah. If you don't query the actual state, you don't know if someone modified the state. Um, recently right so you need to get like some kind of last modified date from the live system or you need to process this when nobody's working on it so we're really getting into the question of there is a time frame of which there's going to be a lag 
and there's going to be a state where either you just go and do something and if there's a conflict that's a problem or you have to coordinate So someone could be modifying something at the time and you haven't gotten the update yet and um, so I think the way around this would be like before you do something you would just to an object after you've done all that research you should refresh the state and Ansible will do that anyway right um, the configuration management will just guess at what needs to be done. So the worst case scenario is that something will have changed um, by somebody and you haven't heard about it and that will require action to be taken. But based upon the knowledge that's outdated, you'll get a list of things to do. Um, and then you go to do them and you check for each one if it still needs to be done. And um, for things that you don't know about that need to be done, there will be that lag. So I think that is a safe, um, a safe thing. And I'm also thinking about the CF engine um, and how that might play a role. things like monitoring, pulling in facts, parsing of configuration, extracting data from source code, and all of those collectors might bring in some configuration items that you need. So you might have configuration in the code. then we're going to get back to the whole idea of the introspector, you know, and now I've tied it all back in together. So Ansible meets the introspector now, where we have deep knowledge of the project, we're extracting that information. We're collecting runtime information, compile time information, all together. And then, all these things become configuration. So that's the viewpoint is of configuration. Now the interesting thing about configuration is we can also encapsulate. We can hide things and hide details behind layers, like we talked about, like a mapping layer. So we introduce some kind of interfaces or mapping to make it simpler. Boy, I feel sorry to any listener who's actually continued on to this point. So um, I'm going to owe you some diagrams and some some code for this. Yeah, and I'm thinking of some kind of in-memory graph database would be cool.
and then defining these things as Cartesian products or whatever type of uh, joins are needed. And I'm hoping we can define it all using a standard query language and something that's fast. Something that's fast. We need something that's fast. It's like one goose all by itself. Hey, goosey, where's your family, huh? Looks like a baby goose. And her beak. Yeah. Broken beak. I don't know if that one's going to live. Maybe I should take a picture of it. Because one of you guys might want to come and save this goose. Or you could say her goose is cooked. With that, guys, I think we have a wrap, and I will talk to you on the next episode. And um, God bless you if you survive this whole podcast. All right.